Welcome to A Fostered Life, the show in which we explore the various facets of foster care through the voices of the many people who participate in the system. I'm your host, Christy Tennant Crispin, and this is episode one. In this episode, I'm speaking with Amber Jewell, a licensed master social worker, foster parent, speaker, and trainer who also spent years as a youth in foster care. Amber's insights from her experience as a foster youth are invaluable for those of us who are foster parents, and I'm delighted to be able to share our conversation with you. Five and a half years ago, my husband and I became licensed as foster parents. We did not have any children, and um, we had both planned to be foster parents since before we got married, so we were never planning to have biological children. Some people think, they just assume we did it because we couldn't have children of our own, and that was not the case. So um, we just knew going in, and there's a long story behind why we had come to that conclusion. But um, anyway, so we had been married a couple years, we got licensed, and then we had our first two children placed with us, um, a brother and sister, and um, suddenly realized that there was a lot we didn't know. And we were really struggling. Um, I was really struggling big time, mainly because, um, you know, we hadn't fully been able to prepare for a lot of the emotional roller coaster of it. But also our older child had a lot of severe behaviors that we just were completely unprepared for. And so that launched me on like a, um, a um, journey of, you know, the learning curve and trying to get help and talking to people and the state agency, um, they assigned a parenting coach to me and she met with me and taught me, started teaching me about trauma-informed care and positive parenting and all of these things. And it just, just the whole big learning curve was so big. And, um, and so about six months in, I realized I had been looking online. I had been looking for some sort of sign that there were other people out there who were experiencing what I was going through. I did know a few people who had been foster parents, but not like where they had a lot of experience. Basically to say, here here are the things that I learned and that would have been really nice to know ahead of time. And so I just started making videos to talk about things that, you know, these are things you're not going to know until you're in the middle of it, but it's, you know, and it started to build, you know, an audience and I started to connect with other foster parents. Well, now I'm five years in, and I've learned a lot. We've had a lot of children who've come and gone. I've taken a lot of classes and workshops and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and I started a, another resource for foster parents called The Flourishing Foster Parent. And it's really a mainly about um, trying to help foster parents learn and connect. So learn a lot, a lot about parenting, learn about trauma, learn about supporting, um, their foster child's family, which I think is a big thing that isn't talked about that much, but really like becoming, you know, even in some cases, friends with the family, the parents, whatever. And so that started. And then, um, several times recently, I've been encouraged to think about starting a podcast And I thought, you know, actually, I think that's something that I would really enjoy. I hosted a podcast um, from 2008 to 2012. It was completely different. It was uh, interviewing people in the arts world. Um, But I loved it. I loved doing interviews. And uh, so I thought I would start it. And I really, I thought it was so fit. I really want this to not just be foster parents talking to foster parents about foster parenting. Um, 
we have so much to learn from people who have lived the experience. And so I really wanted to start from there. So this is, this is essentially the first episode. <laughs> You're my first guest. <laughs> so yeah, so no pressure at all. But, um, but that, that's my background and what brought me to you today. And I put this out there and your cousin saw it and passed it along to you. And here we are. Awesome. Yeah. So everyone, um, crosses paths with foster care and there's like there's like two people the two types of people in the world those who have never experienced anything to do with foster care and those who have and the two really are two different worlds you know and um so I would love to just hear a little bit about how your path of life crossed with the foster care system I am kind of like a fork when it comes to foster care because I have a lot of different prongs of how I've interacted with the foster care system. Um, The first one would be being a youth in care. I was formally in care for the final time when I was 12 years old. I ran away from my father's home. I was the youngest of six children and We had been in and out of foster care multiple times, though, since I was about one. Some were kinship, meaning with family, um, and some were in foster care home placements. But when I was 12, I got put in foster care for the final time because I refused to go back, and um, he refused to have me come back. Then during that time, I went between quite a few different foster homes for reasons that I didn't understand, but now as a professional, I can see, reflect back on differently. Um, But about a year into it, we did what's called an ICPC. And because my mother lived out of state, which is an interstate compact assessment in the state of Kentucky. And I went and I lived with her for about three months um, and came back then to Kansas when that didn't work out. Uh, There was some mental illness in that situation. And I stayed in a home in Kentucky for about a week and they had a tobacco farm. It was the coolest thing I think I'd ever seen was a tobacco farm in Kentucky. Came back to Kansas, went back to another home, um, moved a couple times. This is a really short story of a story that I, I feel is, can be a great tool for people to see that perspective from the kids. Um, When I was 15, I was going to church because that was the requirement of this foster home that I lived in. It was what we call an independent living home, meaning their goal is to transition you into adulthood, to be independent. And I kept going around and I'd be like, can you foster me or would you adopt me? Because I wanted that family. Found some people at church who were interested. They were in my hometown, however which is where my dad and my five siblings still lived. And at first the state told me I couldn't because my father said he didn't want me to live in that town. And that's when we wrote a letter to the court and appealed that. Um, And when I was 16, we did what's called permanent guardianship. I became the oldest of three and two new parents at 16. And then when I was 18 years old, um, that means that I was an independent adult. So that's kind of my short synopsis of the child side. Interestingly, I think we assume that 
childhood trauma and foster care stops at 18, and that is never the case. And that's a big thing I talk about. When I went into college, I found out that I had epilepsy from a trauma when I was four. I had a brain injury and had to have brain surgery. So I am definitely screwed up in the head because I have screws up there. (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny I had to look at that you know I would think of my past um in the state of Kansas you can't drive when you have seizures so I was 18 going to college and didn't know how to get financial support from the state I didn't know what benefits they gave to youth in care didn't use any of that Um, and so there was a lot of things that I wish I'd known that I know now Um, and then I did go to school and got my bachelor's and master's in social work. So I worked in child welfare as a worker Mm -hmm. in department for a long time. Um, and then my husband and I, he's in law enforcement. He and I are now foster parents and we're like you, you know, we knew before we got married that we were going to foster. Um, And so that's a whole different perspective. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Wow. That is fascinating. I think I said in my email to you, you're like the full meal deal of somebody who's got perspective on this world because, um, it's, you know, I I can only imagine how that, you know, having that background would give you some perspective, but might also, I, I wonder, and if this is something that you'd be willing to talk about, if you find yourself triggered at all by some of the things that you experienced from your past and then having, um, and then having kids who are struggling with things as well. Um, triggered maybe at times. There were a couple cases maybe that I would have to refuse my, uh, uh, remove myself from when I worked in child welfare. I am a big believer of you have to role model what you teach. I have to be true to what I say. And so if I'm telling these parents and I'm working with these who've struggled with their own trauma, whether that's the parent or the child, um, to have some self-care and get some support, then I'd better be doing the same. And that is actually why I left child welfare and work at a school now is because I felt like I wasn't doing what I was telling them they needed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're in child welfare and you're a foster parent, you are never away from it. You're never away from it. Right. We did not foster while I was in child welfare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder, is that something you're allowed to do? You are. Yes. In uh, Kansas, I believe you have to license through a different agency. There's some regulations that go with Mm -hmm. that, but yes, you are allowed to. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, were you separated from your siblings then? From what age were you guys separated? And you kind of went your separate ways or how did that look? Did you get to stay in touch? (laughs) When I was 12, which was that final time that I left, um, yes, I was separated. They all stayed at home. I have one biological brother, two half sisters, and at that time, two stepsisters. My father had been married five times. Okay. And the relationship was off and on. And even as adults, it still is. Mm -hmm. I have some family that are excelling and doing great. uh, And we don't really have a connection. And then I have some family who's really struggling and struggles with addictions themselves. I have a sibling who said, you were the lucky one. Um, And I have to remember that that's from her perspective because 
she doesn't know what I had and neither do I of her. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I've heard it said many times, um, no two siblings grow up in the same home and you get on the other side of adulthood and you look back on your childhood and two people who grew up in the same home often have very different perspectives on what, what that experience was like. So it sounds like that was the case for you all. Um, one of the things that I have been really fascinated by encountering in um, as a foster parent, especially a public foster parent, because I'm on YouTube and that, you know, anybody can look at the videos and then voice their, their perspectives. And I've realized that there is a whole population of people who view foster care as a form of kidnapping. And I don't know if you've ever come across that. Have you come across Absolutely. That? Okay. And I, I think, um, you know, my first response to that is, of course, to think of all the children's experiences that we've known of where it's like, these were not innocent parents whose children were just like, you know, the authorities came in and took them for no reason. Um, but I think, but then there are also those who are like, actually, it was worse in foster care than it was at home. Um, what were the foster homes like for you? And did you, looking back, do you feel like it was an improvement in your place of like your life, even though it was still not, I mean, nobody's going to say foster care is ideal. Nobody's going to say that. Right. Are you glad that you got out and ended up in foster care? I, I mean, that's a dumb question, but like, yeah, it's, it's not a dumb question. It's probably one of the most popular questions that I get too. Is it? Okay. Um, is because people really want to know, and I guess, though this is not probably the answer most people expect, I would say that because I'm happy with who I am today, I don't regret what happened. It's because of what's happened who's helped me become who I am. Um, good, bad, or indifferent, some things in life we can't have choice, but we can have power and choice in what we do with that. Um, so, in relation to the foster homes, I had some that were really good and some were really bad. Um, I had a, we called a group home, was the first home I went to, to. I'm not sure why, whether than maybe it was an emergency placement or something. And I was there for about a week and was um, sexually molested by another girl in that home. I was 13, 12 at the time. Then I went to a group home, or excuse me, a foster home, um, where they there were some wonderful things. It was so personal, though. They wanted to. They had the foster parents had lost a child many years before, mm. and so they wanted to give me that child's name because we had the same name. So they wanted to give me the middle name because I was that important. Mm. So the perspective from a child is, wow, they love me that much. Mm. That that much. Um, there was a lot of depression in that home of the caregivers. The caregivers themselves struggled with that. Mm -hmm. And so kind of walking on eggshells and in a foster home, you never know who's going to show up, which kid's going to be there when a worker's going to be there. And so that was a struggle. School was great. I love school. I'm lucky to be one of those people. I love going to school because they like to see me there. And so that was very uplifting um, in church. I went to church every Sunday, not because I wanted to learn a lick from church, but because every Sunday those people smiled at me and they said, we want to see you. We value you every Sunday. And so that planted a lot of seeds for me. 
Yes. Yeah. That's right before I went to my mom's in Kentucky. So I went there. Then I, like I said, I was at a home for a week in Kentucky on a tobacco farm, which was Mm -hmm. again, thing ever. They also were super religious. Um, came back, went to a little home for two days. And then that home wanted me back. The one that suffered with depression and uh, one of the parents was disabled. But they would tell me things like, we want all of you or none of you. We want to adopt you or not have you at all. And there was some other <laughs> kids there that had some struggles so these is, this is really vague because I don't know how much time we have in this conversation, but. Oh, I've was, got all the time in the world, Amber. I'm happy to talk as long as I've got until Surf's Up ends because that's the movie that I put on for my kids. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> yeah, they, they, when I came back, they had a whole different world of huh. kids there. They had teenage girls there that um, they would say things like, don't sit on the toilet because you'll come back with an STD. I didn't know what that meant, but one of my foster sisters wanted to be watched in the bathroom. She needed somebody in the bathroom with her. Well, stepping into the shoes of a professional social worker, she probably had been sexually abused or had some type of trauma and needed that support, but I didn't know that as a kid. Um, They had a 28-year-old son who lived there with them as well. This was their own son who would do things like watch pornography, um, threaten to hurt us because he struggled with depression. But I learned some great things there too. You know, they, we had to hunt and fish and do some of that on our own. Um, they loved me a lot in the best ability I think they had in their mental status. And so I got, I learned some of that. So with the good comes the bad. I did once a week visits with my dad and my stepmom, but they were supervised one hour visits and we never got past that. They would say that I needed to um, claim the the fault before they would go any further. Mm, 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 mm. Wow. Wow. So um, I want to go back to kind of this idea of um, the, uh, the foster homes and it just, the, the home again, like you were, you, you've alluded to a few times and I really appreciate this because I feel like in a lot of these conversations, it's very like, you're either a really good foster parent or you're really bad one. There are the really good ones and the really bad ones. And you've basically alluded to, um, there's good and there's bad and, you know, unless they're like extremely abusive and like, you know, which those horrible cases that we've heard of, you're, you're able to say, you know, there was good there, even though, you know, there was some emotional abuse. I mean, I would say telling a child, we want all of you or none of you, I, I would, that's, that just makes me want to cringe so badly because to put that on a child who's, you know, been through the things that, that you had been through at that time and just sort of like make you like making a choice in, in some sense. But um, but I really appreciate that you're able to kind of look at it and say, yeah, they weren't all bad and they weren't all awesome. <laughs> like they, you know, there was that complexity, but can you, can you talk about, um, so I would put saying that to a child on the list of like things you should not do. Like that is not helpful to a child. What are some of the things that you found were helpful? I mean, you talked about the, the excitement of learning how to fish and hunt, just like life skills that you picked up, maybe that you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Um, 
and uh, certainly going to church and being welcomed and have people who were happy to see you week after week. That's a great thing. Um, What were some of the other things that you can look back and go, those were really good things that those foster parents did? I think, especially when you're talking about that trauma-informed aspect, the encouragement and the affirmation, that the good job, the recognition of the little things, um, being able to say, you know, we're proud of what you're doing in school or, hey, you didn't get grounded this week. That was really, really good. Or your chore was awesome. Um, You know, I know the visit with mom and dad was tough, but here you are and we're glad to have you back still that welcoming and that constant encouragement of no matter what you've been through, we're still here for you. Uh, Because in our minds as youth in care, we're constantly having that underlying fear that they're going to say they're gone. And so we need that counteracted affirmation of you're here. We love you. Um, So those were, those were great. That encouragement was always, you can do this. And it wasn't here, let me do this for you. It's, you can do this and I'll Mm -hmm. be there with you if you want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like empowerment, giving, like empowering you to be able to, to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I remember uh, I get a therapist and sometimes if I would say, I don't want to talk to a therapist and who talks to those people, they would maybe take me there or walk in with me. They wouldn't stay there the whole time, Mm -hmm. but they would say, you know, I've done this too, or sometimes we need this too. And it becomes more normalized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The stigma of I'm just a messed up kid. Right. Right. Did you struggle with ever feeling like it was your fault that you were in care? I mean, I know that some kids do, but um, yeah. All the time. Okay. Yeah. When I lived with my dad, um, the reason I left is they would lock me in my room, which was about the size of a, a little bigger than a twin bed um, confinement. I wasn't allowed to use the same soap in the family. I wasn't allowed to get any food uh, or go to the bathroom. I had trouble going to the bathroom when I came into the foster care system because I wasn't allowed access. Um, so I had done a lot of things during that time of self-mutilation. I was a a thief. I stole a lot. So I'm sure that was on my sheet that was Mm -hmm. sent to that first Mm -hmm. foster home. Mm -hmm. Um, I lied all the time. I would particularly steal food. Like cake mix was good stuff. Dry cake mix. Wow. (laughs) And going in to foster care from there, I think that was the perspective that was probably on paper. And Mm so having been told it's your fault, you lied from mom and dad. That's what I went into in the foster care system too. So it, it was, and you know, even into adults sometimes, even today at this age, I have to counteract that and being aware of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I would love to, okay. So, um, there are so many things that we could talk about, but I want to take a little time to kind of be thinking about teens in foster care right now. Um, we have a teenage foster daughter and, um, 
you know, we just adore her and she is part of our family. Our kids adore her. And, um, and, but I do, you know, I would love to kind of draw out from you like advice or things that you would say to a current teen in foster care, maybe things you wish that someone had said to you or that, or that sort of thing. Along with that, I would love if you would talk about how you've gotten to the place of being able to talk about these things, to show the kind of mercy that you're showing. Um, I just, you, you ooze grace and mercy. You know, I'm listening to the story that you're telling me and I'm like, how are you so kind? And how are you, you know, able to, um, to have this perspective? Clearly you have done a lot of work and, you know, to get to this place. Um, so I would love to kind of, if you wouldn't mind just start sharing that part of your story and, and what you would say to maybe my daughter and, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. I kind of hear, um, you know, two, two things there, um, for the teenagers be by their side. Don't, don't carry them. Uh, often I think our welfare systems have great intent with teenagers. We actually have a 19 year old boy who was in foster care in our home right now, um, who didn't have a place to live. <laughs> and I, I'm always like, don't, don't enable them, encourage them and that in, and support them and be proud of those accomplishments because teenage years are so hard anyway. And then you put having the experience of being in foster care. And I always say with teenagers that you are a person in your name first, and then you can tell somebody that you were in foster care. But foster care doesn't define you. You define you, and being in foster care is a part of you. Okay. Um, I think it's important to encourage and empower them. So working was one of the greatest things I could have done because it gave me that work ethic and that value for what I earned that was me. It wasn't mom. It wasn't dad. It wasn't these people telling me I couldn't because I just did. And I do it for me, not for others. And then over here on the side, I have foster parents like you encouraging me and cheering me on and saying, good job. Those things are so powerful. Um, reassuring them that 18, yes, there's so much freedom in it, but I'm not going anywhere. I love you no matter what. Or even if you are... <laughs> Bless you, foster parents who are like, yay, my kid is 18, finally. Still writing a birthday card. Yes. Still have contact with them, even when they're over 18, because our minds and our emotions are not settled over 18. And so we still need that. And that, again, that underlying fear being there can really help these kids in encouraging them. Empowering them is the perfect word for it. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it for them. So, yeah. And I love what you're talking about, making sure they know that just because they've maybe aged out of quote, the system, they haven't aged out of being part of your family. You're still in relationship. And, um, you know, we have, we have extended foster care in, in Washington. Kids can stay in care with support in a foster home until they're 21. If they're, I believe going to school or working or whatever, but, um, yeah, I mean, and, and another question that I have for you, because I still want to get back to the, how are you so healthy? <laughs> and you talked about self-care, but I know it goes way beyond that. Um, but, but also, I would love to know your thoughts on, because um, you did not get adopted, correct? You aged out? 
Uh, a little bit of both. We did guardianship. So it you was. Okay. Yes. And are you still it was, part of um, that family? By um, heart, I am. Okay. By legality, I'm not. As of okay. 18, I was yeah. done. Uh-huh. But in um, relationship, you're still part of them. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I have to get that, seek that reassurance. And sometimes they knowingly just say that to me without me asking them because they can tell that that's yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so th- that's important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, and so, yeah, how did you get to this point where you're able to not just cope with or deal with your past, but you're really using it and you're like offering it to the world as a, a emblem of hope. I would love to hear you talk about that. A lot of baby steps. Um, I, I say a lot of times that I can't justify the negative myself making negative behaviors or child abuse or something like that because of my my trauma or my experience because doing so would then justify that for my parents Mm -hmm. and they don't deserve that justification Mm -hmm. Um, so that also kind of sets that structure for myself to be accountable to myself and with my own child because when I look at my child we have one biological of our own Um, who do I see I see my biological family every day, you know, so having that, again, that self-care for me, uh, faith is, is the primary aspect because when the world is so tough and things are, you can't understand it, um, that, that faith in, in God is there and always will be, always has been on those days that I felt very, very alone. But also I always say that, People in and out of my life made a big impact. It doesn't have to be one person for the whole spectrum of time. But I remember so many people for five minutes or five years still to this day that's made an impact. And it could be that teacher, that bus driver, that person I talked to on the phone that said something, that did something, that said you can do it and provided that hope and inspiration. Um, and then having the drive to go do it, mm-hmm. getting therapy when I need therapy, um, admitting that, you know, we all have struggles and it's okay. And it's a good thing to be able to lay that on the table that people are people um, and being able to forgive because I'm a hot mess. So sometimes I need to forgive myself and forgive others. And there's a lot of freedom in forgiveness. Yeah. And that's not something that I did at 18. This has been a process and still is. It's not something you do once and then it's just over. This is like a process, a lifelong choice to every day wake up and go, I'm not going to take that back up again today. And if I do take it back up again today, I'm going to figure out or, you know, do the work, the prayer, you know, the self-reflection, whatever it takes to put it back down again. Because it's just like that, that, you know, thing you're carrying around, just weighing you down. It, and um, yeah. And I I compare it a lot to grief, the the going through trauma. I mean, I think those of us who've experienced trauma or particularly youth in care, you know, we go through lots of grief 
through our whole life um, and learning a lot about grief and how to manage grief and having that support system yeah. and process through that. So you mentioned that you had foster homes that required you to go to church. And I've been asked about that myself because we are a church going family. Um, we do not require older children in our care to go to church. We, I mean, if we had a younger child who specifically articulated that they did not want to go to church, we would make arrangements for them. We've never had that happen. The kids like you, I mean, they love going to church. People are happy to see them. There's all sorts of hugs, you know, and, um, and all of that, but we, our older daughter, we don't make her go at all. She always knows she's welcome to come, but she doesn't have to. Um, did that, did having to go to church, like just being around it, did that contribute to you coming into your faith of your own or how did that happen? Yeah, it did. Um, my biological mother is of a different belief than I, and so that was a conflict a lot. And so it was kind of something that I was intrigued to learn more about anyway. When I moved from this home that I told you that they were disabled and um, had the 28-year-old son, so uh, the foster dad was inappropriate with his hand on one occasion and made some comments to me the next day when I was, I was 14 years old and I worked a couple jobs. And so I got moved to this new home. Um, and this home was pretty awesome that I went to though. Okay. So they had seven foster care girls. It, they, this was the independent living home is quite overwhelming. I'm going to say all these girls come out to help me move my stuff. Uh, and what I talk about is if I ever felt a time in my life, that true, pure depression, it was probably that point because um, things hadn't worked with dad, things hadn't worked with mom and this family who had wanted to adopt me, even though I didn't want to necessarily do that, it didn't work with them. And so I wouldn't be able to walk very far without just wanting to go to sleep. Um, I didn't want to talk to people and I felt worthless and that was a very strong feeling, but I remember it. And I remember them saying, you have to go to church. Did I want to go to church? No. Did I want to put up a fight? Yes. But going there did so many other things. It, the root of that hope when I felt hopeless is it kept giving that day in and day out, um, whether I wanted to hear it or not, it did. And it made me get out of the home. <laughs> it made me socialize a little bit and do things that were maybe uncomfortable. Um, but that hope and cool part of that story is the Sunday school teacher is the one I call mom and dad. Now um, they are the ones I ended up living with. Interesting thing is I refer to them third person as mom and dad. I do not call them mom and dad. Um, not because of any reason other than, that is not a good tone to me. It wouldn't be a title. Of, they are functionally mom and dad to you when you're talking about them to other people. Functionally, they're your mom and dad, but you don't consider it a compliment to call them mom and dad. That's what I'm hearing. Right. And it took me a while to understand why I couldn't. Um, and, and that is why. But it was through church that I met them and that we got that connection. So, yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm so grateful to talk to you. And I just, um, I love your story. 
and I love what you're doing with your story. I guess I would say I love what you're doing with your story. Um, I don't love what happened to you. I, I There's a huge part of me every time I talk to somebody who's been through childhood trauma, some of the things that you even shared here, and I know there's a lot more that you haven't shared, I'm sure. Um, but there's like this huge part of me that just wishes I could run back in time and sort of like protect them. But, you know, I think like you've said, all of it, forms who you are. And when you're able to then take it and offer it like you've done as a social worker or as a, you know, foster parent with the insight that you've had and even coming on this podcast and and being willing to share your story to help other foster parents and other kids who might be listening. um, I just marvel. I marvel at that. And it's a real generous act on your part. So I just really appreciate that you're choosing to do that. And you're like letting your light shine. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. That's definitely uh, my joy. And I hope to continue to be able to do that as long as I can. And I think it's one of those, you don't know what you don't know kind of things. And so I try to also tell people outside of child welfare that this is a big deal. This is an important thing. And you all can play an impact, even if it's a really little, little one. Yeah, it matters. Absolutely. We've had a couple of children in our care who came from other school districts. And um, when they came to us, um, they they either had been out of school for a little bit because they were bouncing between homes or, you know, like shelters, group homes, that sort of thing. Um, And one of my big priorities is always to get this kid back in their school if I possibly can, because you know, it's a, another former foster youth pointed out to me that when a, a child is removed from their home, they're often also removed from school. And when you think about it, um, school is the place they probably spend most of their time during the school year. And um, and I've gotten to know so many teachers and principals and school counselors who were the only consistent um, positive presence in some of these children's lives. And so I think for foster parents to really be mindful that if there's any way possible to keep a child in their school and not move them. Even if that means like we had two different kids at two different times who I was driving a half hour round trip twice a day to um, get them to, I mean, an hour round trip um, each day to get them to school because it was that important until, you know, we were able to make some arrangements and stuff. So yeah, those connections, sometimes that becomes a support system, but sometimes it's just a connection, but those those are really essential. I had this, um, this was before privatization happened, but I had this social worker who had worked with us since I was a baby, since we started working in the system, um, all the way until I was an adult. And we just, we met as I, when I was a professional over dinner one day and he has since passed away. And there were so many times I was angry at him and, and the feelings and the emotions, they're all okay. And, and coming to that realization in adulthood was a big step for me too. Um, and how emotions are so much different than our behaviors. Mm-hmm. And he was the person I was so angry at. And yet I've been blessed with the knowledge of his intent. Mm. Um, and it was interesting when he passed away, um, mm. having that experience of that long-term connection that you, I maybe didn't even realize I had had all those years. Right, right. Somebody who was constantly there, maybe for, I mean, 
the reason he came into your life is not something, you know, great, but um, that he was there. I, you know, I wonder too, for, for kids, I mean, I know as a foster parent, there are always things I can't tell necessarily. Um, or I shouldn't say I can't tell, because I'm a believer in telling your child, especially older children, I'm a believer in telling them that whatever you know. I would much rather a child hear it from me than hear it from a case manager or, you know, Yes. something else. I just think that that trust is so important and, and that kids need to know that we're not holding back. But I do know that there are things case managers know that they can't always tell foster parents and they probably can't always tell children in their care. And, uh, and so, you know, probably, I don't know, but like, you know, just feeling like there are things that you, I don't know, that he knew or couldn't tell or didn't make happen. Maybe, I don't know, just that had to be a really emotional thing. It was, um, and it, it was a struggle to understand that one of the greatest things that I've think I did with that was confronting it at some point. And you were asking about teenagers earlier. And I think one thing we miss a lot of times is we want to kind of hover over and kind of be the umbrella for them, which is great. I don't think it's a bad intent, but teaching them to advocate for themselves is so, so important when they can vouch out of going to court, but it's really their life and their guardian at litem that they need to meet. While I can go for them and I would be glad to go for them, you really need to go because the value of what you're teaching them and having them or role modeling for them how to ask questions is so more essential than protecting them from that. Yeah, that's so true. So thinking of ways across the board that you can advocate, but also model advocating and show the a youth how they can advocate for themselves. I think being transparent um, is always the best uh, because that, that's back to that being real and not trying to have such high expectations of society right now, which I think is a struggle uh, that these kids and these adults are, are struggling with. Instead, you're making it real and with them. And that's, that's a great thing. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so glad to talk to you. And I know um, when we were at the beginning, we, you were sharing that you are uh, also a motivational speaker. And I would love to know if people are interested in hearing more from you or having you come and speak at one of their events, how can they connect with you? I have a website. It's at Amber M. Jewel, J-E-W-E-L-L dot com. And it's pretty new, but they can send a notification there. Uh, I also have a Facebook page, um, sending that hope in churches and groups and organizations and nonprofits and foster parents. Like I said, I think foster care and the concept of hope in life is something we all can use. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've sure had my hope raised today and I appreciate you being my first guest on this new podcast. So thank you so much. Who knows? Maybe we'll get a chance to talk again sometime in the future. That'd be awesome. And thanks for what you do. You've been listening to a Fostered Life podcast. 
For more resources for foster parents, please visit afosteredlife.com, where you'll find links to social media like Facebook and YouTube, as well as recommended reading and a whole blog of articles that are relevant for foster parents. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and thank you for caring about foster care.